and to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, and chapter 8. Romans 8, and I'm going to read from verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord." Last week we were looking uh, particularly around verse 35 where Paul throws out this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists some things that certainly he has known in his own experience. We looked last week at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the terrible things that he suffered and yet going through all of that he still knew the love of God. And so he says, uh, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all the things that could possibly imply to us that God doesn't really care. He says, no, in all of those things, we still know the love of God. And uh, there are many things that can happen to us. We think, where's God now? Does God really love me? And so he quotes there from uh, Psalm 44, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Uh, presumably because, obviously, as Paul is writing that, he doesn't have his copy of the Bible to quote it, nor does he have an electronic device. He can just turn it up. It's in his mind. So, presumably, that's a verse that meant quite a lot to him, as is having the 39 lashes five times, being shipwrecked three times, and all the other stuff. He's thinking, that verse comes to his mind. For your sake, we face death all day long. And in Psalm 44 where it comes from. He says, verse 13, the psalmist says, verse 13, you've made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. Says, verse 17, all this has happened to us, though we'd not forgotten you or been forced to your covenant. Our hearts hadn't turned back. Our feet hadn't strayed from your path, but you crushed us. And made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we'd forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our hearts yet? For your sake, we face death all day long. 
were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We're brought down to the dust. You see, the psalmist is going through. He says, where's God? It's like, I mean, it could be translated, we are being killed all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The image there is of sheep that have been herded into the pen by the abattoir. They're going to die. You don't, they don't need feeding now. They don't need caring for. They're, they're going to be killed. He said, that's what we're like. God, where are you? Yeah, we, we, we face all of these things. But, he says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Paul knew what it was like then to, to face a death sentence. He says, for your sake we face death all day long. Writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul knew what it was to feel he had a death sentence. That was what life seemed to be handing out to him. And yet he says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. So let's look at that statement. What does he mean by it? How can he say it? In all these things, in other words, all the things that he's listed there, trouble, hardship, persecution, and so on, in all of those things that he then expands in verse 38, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. All of that in all these things. And in verses 38 and 39, it's like he's, he's on a bit of a roll there. He's just saying, oh, he, we don't need to define what he means. But what does he mean by death and life and the future? He's just saying nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Every circumstance of existence, physical, spiritual, present, future, the whole lot, he says nothing can separate us from God's love. And in all of those things, we more than conquer. Now he says neither death nor life, life nor death, the the present, the future. Nothing can separate us from God, and in all those things we more than conquer. He's talking about things, some things will be good, some things will be bad. The, the present and the future, that includes many not very obvious enemies, not many, some not very obvious problems. You know, it's far easier to resist and conquer outright evil than it is to resist and conquer something that's actually quite attractive. And there are many good things that can actually separate us from what is best. Remember when 
people came to Jesus and they wanted to be his disciples. And in Luke chapter 14, he says, no one can be my disciple unless they take up their cross and follow me. So they've got to hate their life, got to hate their father and mother. What, family? Well, next week we're going to be talking about parenting. And obviously it's important for children at home to honor their parents and for parents to care for their children as a priority. But what happens when those children grow up? Right, when someone marries, they leave their father and mother. But do they? Remember, someone came to Jesus and said, let me first bury my father. When my father's dead, then I'll come and follow you. They let the dead bury their dead. No, you leave home when you grow up. And if, if people are going to leave home, then their parents have got to let them go. Some parents never let their children go. Their children still are number one priority. Though they're adults, left home, they're still number one priority. Always coming in the way of church commitment, commitment to Christ. Jesus said, no, if you want to be my disciple, all of those good things can stand in the way of the best. We've got to be more than conquerors. Remember, Jesus is teaching and his mother and brothers are outside. They want to see him. He said, no, no, who are my mother and my brothers? Of course, he honored his mother. He's not going to come in the way not going to come in the way of what God is calling him to do. In all these things, not only the evil, but even good things that can get in the way. Family, friends, career, possible house move, all kinds of things can just, they're good, attractive. Hey, wait a minute. Who comes first? Am I here to serve God or here for these things? Sometimes hard choices have to be made. So Paul says nothing, physical, spiritual, any location, any time, nothing can separate us, well nothing must, in all these things more than conquerors. It's always God first. Then he says we are more than conquerors. It's a a wonderful translation and actually One of the earliest English translations of the Bible had that expression, more than conquerors, and no other translation really has ever bettered it since. It's just such a neat phrase. But the the idea there, one, one commentator, it's not a good translation, but one commentator says, in all of these things we are excessively victorious. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's it's saying we not only win, we hyper win, we super win, we we excessively conquer. Now, what does that mean? Paul isn't saying we become superheroes. He's not saying we become full of confidence where we can face anything. Many people find that attractive. See all the books there are, all the articles there are about being assertive, building your self-esteem, how to to win through. And uh, and that's a very attractive idea, self-help. Let's make ourselves assertive, make sure we're always on the winning side. If we're into selling things, that we always close the deal. Whatever we're in, we have our own way. No, it's not talking about that. It's not talking about becoming a superhero full of confidence, nor, of course, some people can read it the other way and say, I couldn't possibly live, it, live this life. I can't be some kind of superhero. And if that's what it means to be a Christian, if to be a Christian I've got to conquer this habit, I've got to change that, I can't do it. So it's not saying we've got to be strong, because the key words are, through him who loved us. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? 
through him. Imagine a father is taking his little child along to, to maybe see some kind of procession and there's a crowd gathering. That little child doesn't stand a chance of seeing over people's heads to see what's happening. But when they get there, the father picks up that child, sits the child on his shoulders and now that child is head and shoulders above everyone else through him who picked him up. It's not that he is taller, but he's lifted. And we become more than conquerors. Not that anything changes in us, but it's the one who lifts us. It's the one who enables us. It's through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul expresses the same thing in in slightly different words when he's writing to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, again words that often get misquoted or misapplied, but in, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Again, he says, I can do everything. I'm omnicompetent. No, he's saying, it's the one who enables me. I can't do it. The one who enables me, enables me to do it. God is not intending that we become super confidants superheroes and that's not the standard the standard is to say I'm in the one who loves me I'm in the one who gives me strength and that's my faith the weakest can be strong just the last week or so um, I've been in odd moments uh, amusing myself scanning old slides into my computer uh, Slides are old technology. Some of you've got to be of a certain age to even remember taking slides. But anyway, I've got all these boxes of slides going back to when I was at university and all the way through, uh, and just scanning them in. Um, and it's just kind of going down memory lane. Yesterday, I put a few into the computer. From when I when I first left college and was became the minister of a church, I was age 25, leading a church, not married. And it just stirred some memories of there I was. I was living on my own. I had a a small bed sitter and facing some pretty powerful personalities who thought this young guy, they could keep him under his thumb and they'd get him to do and say what they wanted him to do and say. Um, And I just thought, how on earth did I withstand all of that? How did I face those people out? When you had a conflict, you went back home, no one to talk to. Just 25 years old, in a situation on my own, to bring a church through change. I thought, I couldn't do that. But yeah, through him who loves us. It's not that we're anything. It's not that we, oh, we've got a strong person. No, no, no. Let the weak say, I'm strong. The call to follow Christ is not just for superheroes. It's for those who know their need And they know the one who has loved them. In all these things, big obstacles. How did Paul cope with the 39 lashes five times? How did he cope with being rejected by his friends? How did he cope with shipwrecked three times? Why didn't he give up? Well, because there's someone carrying him. Someone who loves him. It's not not that we have to be strong. It's the one that we belong to. And in all these things, we're more than conquerors because whatever they do, whatever happens to us, 
It's all working for our good. It says in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him. We can't lose. Whatever we go through, it's earning a bigger crown for us. And if they kill us, it brings us home sooner. In all these things, we, we, excess, we are excessively victorious. They can't take that away from us because God has loved us. Now, Paul goes on to say, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels and demons and so on, shall be able to, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Now, people, some people draw some wrong conclusions from what Paul is saying there. One wrong conclusion or one wrong question. People say, yeah, but if you look at the list of things that can't separate us from God, it doesn't mention me. In other words, it's not saying that I can't separate myself from God's love. In other words, what if I get into black depression? What if I'm so depressed that I deny the faith? It's not saying I can't do that. Or what if, when the pressure is on, if I'm really suffering, imagine like Paul, 39 lashes after the first one, I say, I give in. Is it possible under pressure and extreme pain to say, that's it, I'm out of here, I'm denying all of this? doesn't say I can't do it, some people say. But wait a minute. Let's look at what Paul is saying there. He begins this passage in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Surely I'm included in who. And when he says, neither death nor life, life includes me. And then he goes on to say, nor anything else, that includes me. Yet I might be under pressure, I might be depressed or whatever, but nothing, and that includes me, can separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, in in extreme weakness. I can't slip out of his grasp. Jesus said, my father is greater than all. No one can snatch you out of his hand. I can't and nothing can. Once he has set his love on us, that is forever. That, of course, then leads to another wrong conclusion where people say, well, if that is the case, if nothing, no one, me, if nothing can separate us from God's love, then actually, why bother? Why face all the problems? Why not just take the easy path? Why not just follow the line of least resistance? Paul, why press through all that pain? Why put yourself in a situation where you're going to be persecuted, flogged, and all the rest of it? Why not just opt for comfort because you won't lose your salvation. It doesn't really matter what I do. Surely, some people draw that conclusion. And so you get that glib, slick phrase, once saved, always saved. A phrase that I personally detest because it is so casual. But there you go, people say it. And they say, well, why bother? Why the cost of discipleship? Why take up your cross and follow when you can just be saved anyway? Why take a, why, why press through all of those, hate your life, hate your parents? What, what's all that about? No, 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 no I'm, I'm just going to be like everyone else because once saved, always saved, I will get to heaven. Now, in all honesty, you have to admit that there are some people who have gone that route and in the amazing grace of God, God has kept them. 
So looking back, I think of my own past. My father had been a zealous Christian as a young man, married, two kids, has an affair, leaves his wife and kids, sells the house, leaves us homeless, goes off, denies the faith. And then, having turned his back on everything, what, some 40, 50 years later, I was then to discover God arrested him and he came back. He didn't lose his salvation after doing all of that. Yes, it happens. It happens. Of course, he'd lost out. He was never a father. He lost out the joy of bringing me up. He, but God didn't let go of him. You say, oh, well, yeah, it doesn't matter then. It doesn't matter. You can really kick over every line and God will still keep you. Uh, don't count on it. Yeah, in the mercy of God. There are people who have gone that route and God has kept them. But you can't count it. Remember what it says here earlier in this chapter, in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If you live according to the sinful nature, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You can't dismiss that. It says it. It says it. And then you think of what Paul says in chapter 6. We dwelt on that at length. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul says. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So all the warnings are there. No, no, no. We can't say, oh, once saved, always saved. It doesn't, doesn't really matter what we do. No, we're saved into Christ. We're saved into relationship with him. Salvation is not about ultimate acceptance into heaven. It's not ultimately, I've got a ticket to heaven, so it doesn't matter what happens now between now and then. It's about coming into Christ to know him. About knowing him, being found in him, following him, sharing in his sufferings, confident in God's love. It's a love that won't let us go. That's what we're saved into. We're saved into a situation where sin is no longer our master. We can't say, yeah, it's just a ticket to heaven that I want. Well, you'll only discover when that point comes whether you had that ticket. No, make your calling and election sure the Bible says. So people draw wrong conclusions. They say, the list doesn't include me. I can, I can get myself out of God's love if things go wrong. No, 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 God is bigger than that. Others say, well, it doesn't really matter how we live. Oh, yes, it does. Then what are the intended conclusions? What, did, what, is, what does this, this scripture mean? In all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those final words, so important, in Christ Jesus. One of the things we've learned so far, hopefully going through this letter, is that that is our position. We are in Christ Jesus. Remember what we saw back in chapter 5. We were 
there are two, these two men in human history, Adam and Christ. Adam, the first man, and therefore all of humanity in Adam. And then there's another first man, as it were, the second man, Christ comes. And we're either included in Adam's race, sin, judgment, death, or we're lifted out of Adam's race and we're put in Christ, where there's righteousness, there's life, and there's glory forever with the Lord, eternal life. In Adam, in Christ. We've come out of Adam and we are in Christ. In chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life or in his life? We are in Christ Jesus. In all circumstances, that is our position. Now, what does it mean then to be in Christ. Well, then there's this wonderful expression here, wonderful words in chapter 8, verse 39. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we're in that position, if we're in Christ, then what do we find in him? What's it like to be in Christ? Well, there's the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a a little phrase worth dwelling on. That's something to feed on, something to live on. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ, we are eternally the object of God's love. It, the love of God in Christ. It's love that is unilateral, that is to say, it's not necessarily mutual. God loved me in Christ before I loved him. While I was still an enemy of God, he loved me. And it's like Jesus came, loving me, when I was a sinner, when I was rebellious against God, when there was stuff in my heart, my thought life, my actions, dishonesty, you name it, Not that I was the worst criminal ever, but I was a human being. (laughs) Still am, I hope. And human beings sin. And it's the very heart of us. It's our nature to be rebellious against God, to be self-centered, thinking we know best. And Jesus comes loving me when I don't love him. And he says, you can't cope. You can't live with that lot. You You don't dare face a holy God. Tell you what, I'll take it all. Everything you've done, everything you've thought, every secret, tell you what, I'll take it all on me. So it's as if I thought it, as if I did it, as if I wanted it. I'll take the whole lot because you can't cope, you daren't. With all of that and all that you're going to do, you don't face God. I'm having the lot. Everything in your past, everything in your future, I'll take it. Well, he takes it. I haven't got it anymore. Then he says, now look what I'm going to do. And he goes to the cross. And there he is punished 
for this that I did, that that I thought, that that I wanted, that that I will do, he is punished, punished, punished. And I look at him. I did it. I thought it. I, he's taking it. Blow after blow. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries. No point does he look at me and say, hey, wait a minute, have it back. No, he takes it. And then he says, it's finished. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How could he do that? He hates sin, but he took mine. He loves God, but he faces the wrath of God. Leaves me, the guilty one, free. I don't deserve that. He takes it. It's finished, he says. Suffering God's wrath in my place, saving me. So I'm here free of it. Free of it totally. It's all gone. It's all finished, dealt with, once and for all. Then... Well, do I live true to that? No, no, I disappoint him. I let him down, but he's faithful. The love of God is in Christ. He's consistent covenant love. Though I get it wrong, and I wrong moves, wrong... No, he's, he's there, he's faithful, providing for me, giving more, correcting me when I go wrong, redirecting me when I make wrong choices, think, I'm going to move there, I'll do that. No, 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 you're going here. Oh, thank you. You saved me from that error. You got me out of that mess. Comforting when the pressure's on. Keeping, continually forgiving again and again. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Teaching, putting up with me, enduring, <laughs> blessing Providing a place for me in heaven forever. Have you thought what, what it means, this little phrase? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Have you really let it get to you? Just how much Jesus loves you. Has it, has it broken your heart? Just how much? How much is, how much is carried How much is done? And how much is still doing? Why? What's in it for him? It's all for me. It's amazing love. Amazing love. It's totally one-sided. No, I love him, but what's my love compared with his? That he would keep blessing, keep forgiving, keep enduring, keep providing. Hearing my little prayers and saying, yes, I'll do that. Why? Well, God has demonstrated his love in this. While I was still a sinner, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. He's given us a new name, given us new life, a new hope, new eternity, and it's all in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from love like that. This is not just a whim. This is not just an emotion. This is incredibly strong that anyone should love in that way. And it's not just a human thing. This is, this is the divine purpose. This is something that God planned before he created the world and everything was made for this love to be displayed. This is not going to change 
Paul's meditated on it. He's fed on it. It's got into his heart. It's that that makes him strong. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us because nothing can break that love. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can get in the way of it. And whatever we go through, that love is there. That love is there carrying, seeing us through. Even when we would give up, no, he's carrying. Nothing can separate us from that love. So the intended conclusion we draw from this is not, oh, it doesn't matter. Hey, no. It should be giving us a whole new perspective whole new direction. Now, I turn from me, where it's all about me, what I need, my rights, what I long for, oh, my hurts. Who, who will listen to this, the sad story of all I've got? No, we turn from that. It's not about me. It's about him. Paul says, forgetting what's behind I'm pressing forward to what's ahead. He had quite a story. Sometimes he tells it, but you tell he's he's a bit embarrassed even referring to things he's gone through, but he only says it because it it will help what he he wants to commend to people. But he's forgetting what's behind. There are some people who never forget what's behind. Always seeking out a new person to tell them their story and get some sympathy. Hey, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about him. He's a much better person to look at than me and my history. How about him and his We turn away from self-centeredness to focus on Jesus. Instead of saying, can I tell you about me? It's, can I tell you about Jesus? Instead of talking about me, let's talk about him. That's what Paul wants to do. He says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. But for me to live is Christ. It's all about him. He says, I want to know him. I want to be found in him. Why does he say that? Because he realizes the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. This is unique. And it's so unique that we will guard that precious relationship with God. We will not only guard it, we will develop it because this is worth more than anything. Anything can change, but this won't. So we guard our relationship. We're not going to ever rebel, are we, against what God says in his word? Yeah, some of those difficult things I referred to when I started about the cost of discipleship. We're not going to shrink back. We're not going to rebel against it. We're not going to say, hey, wait a minute. This is the one who loved me. We're not going to rebel against him. Even if the call to discipleship is hard and it hurts, I love him because he loves me. We're not going to rebel. We're not going to be casual and not so much rebel as kind of just drift. No, because he's the focus. We're not looking at anything else. He's the focus. Because this is totally unique. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our perspective is not me, but him. He is more to be valued than anything else. Therefore, he is my focus, and I want to guard that relationship. I want to develop that relationship because I know, I believe I'm saved. 
And that's not a ticket to heaven, although ultimately we will be accepted into his presence. But it's, no, I'm saved out of everything that would lead me away. I'm saved out of, of, of sin being my master. That's how I was. But I'm not that person anymore. I'm saved. I'm in Christ. I'm saved from those habits. I'm saved from that way of life. It's a new life in Christ. And I believe it. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. <coughs> in life, just about anything is liable to change. Things that we think are pretty certain, pretty secure, settled, well, they're not really. In a moment, anything can change. Things that have seemed secure for the foreseeable future, suddenly things can happen. There can suddenly be an accident, an illness, or a redundancy. or Things suddenly change, we know that. We've lived through, in recent years, financial collapses and all the other stuff, where people's savings have disappeared, jobs have disappeared... And then tsunamis, earthquakes, you name it, any, terrorist attacks, anything can change in just a moment. Nothing, nothing is really secure. Everything is liable to change. So it makes sense to value most highly what will never change. And what will never change is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If that is our security then we are secure. And that surely is what Paul is talking about here. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Why? Well, it's because he's focusing on the love of God. He knows a lot of things changing, a lot of things that had maybe had once upon a time given him security. They're all gone now. It's continual change, but there's something that never changes. The love of God is in Christ Jesus. One thing never changes. And therefore, that is what we hold to. So we have to ask ourselves, where do we find security? Right now, what is our life founded on? Is it the job, relationship, savings? What, what gives us our security? All those things can go. What are we living for then? What are we... What are we working for? What's our ambition? Well, there's only one thing that endures forever, and that's our relationship with God. And Paul has come to such a strong position. Have you? Have I? Such a strong position where it doesn't matter what winds are blowing, it doesn't matter what circumstances are doing. He's got a place of security that's like his personal rock that is not moving when everything else is moving. And he goes through life in that place of security in all these things, facing death all day long, considered a sheep about to be killed. But in all these things, we're wonderfully victorious through him who loved us. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Then we focus on that. Turn our attention to that. Say, I want to know more about this. I want to dwell more on it. If, if I'm, I've already allowed drift to settle, I've got to come back right now because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I need to know this love. 
and to be secure in it. Then the, the things can change, but hey, I'm safe. Is that your position? Is that your desire? Let's pray.